and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. This is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. Today we're breaking from tradition and we have teamed up with a podcast that I am a huge fan of, the Bechdel Test Fest's Who Is She podcast, to celebrate the many under 90 minute long works of one of our favourite filmmakers, the great Lynn Shelton. Normally we're joined by just one guest, but today we are pushing all of the pod boundaries and I have the pleasure of being joined by four fantastic co-presenters. Introducing... Hi, I'm Karina Antrobus. Hi, I'm Beth Webb. Hi, I'm Caitlin Quinlan. Hi, I'm Steph Watts. Karina, Beth, returning pod guests. Welcome back. Steph, Caitlin, you're brand new voices to the show. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Karina, you're the founder of the Bechdel Test Fest. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what this is and where it came from? So the Bechdel Test Fest is now in its seventh year, or is it eighth year? I actually have lost count now, but... um, Well, the term festival is a loose term and essentially we're an ongoing screening collective where we celebrate positive representations of women on film. The Bechtel test itself, ideally the film actually does pass the test and the test is a simple three-step rule to say that the film has two women in it that have names, that have a conversation with each other about something other than a man. Very low bar measure, Lots of films fail, and we're here to celebrate the ones that pass with flying colours. In recent years, the festival has become a podcast. Beth, can you tell our listeners where the Who Is She podcast came from? It was an idea that I had where I was I was inspired by a lot of other podcasts that people were kind of building from the ground up. And I'm a big fan of creating opportunities to celebrate women in film and I'm just so lucky to be in the company of these three wonderful women who've always got such clever and funny and succinct things to say about women as well. The format's changed a little bit over the years but we've what we do now is is we send someone off to speak to somebody who is a, a female filmmaker who's like interesting to us or has done a piece of work that's spoken to us in a really interesting way and we get them on the pod and then we have a, a nice chat afterwards which is always my favourite but we have a chat afterwards about their work and why it's important it's as much a celebration as it is a way of bringing these these uh, women's work to other people so if you're looking to kind of broaden your cultural horizons a little bit it's just a nice way to kind of learn a little bit more and hopefully we do a good job at, at kind of guiding you onto their their work You've had some amazing guests this year and, and, and before as well. Yeah, definitely. Kathy Ann was a real highlight for me and Joanna Hogg. Another favourite was uh, Josephine Decker, who we adored. We did a really great event with her for Madeline's Madeline, which was fantastic. Friend of the 90 Minutes or Less pod, Suzanne Lindon, was uh, our last one and Caitlin had a marvellous chat with her then. So yeah, we've we've been fortunate that we've got to to spend some time with these ladies it's been fantastic and you're all involved in the podcast uh, of course as well as the sort of physical uh, screenings at the Bechdel Test Fest Caitlin how did you how did you join the crew how did you join the family well it's it's actually been maybe two over two years now since I since I came on board they were looking for someone to do a bit more editorial work um so I I came on and I run the weekly newsletter and yeah try and try and continue that you know idea of championing women in film and events for our our listeners and followers to 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 check out and and sharing them through through a weekly kind of digest for everyone. It's been great and so, so much fun to just do it all with three wonderful friends and people. <laughs> Steph, what's your Bechdel Test Fest origin story? I think yeah, it's been a few years now and kind of meeting with Beth and Karina and joining the team to kind of yeah help with that kind of social side and doing a lot of kind of the graphics and artwork for the podcast for screenings that we get to put on I've had some good fun making some posters and zines for for past screenings it's been so fun and I'm like glad that we're getting to carry on during the pandemic i can't wait to get back to regular screenings at some point she's also being modest because she um was responsible for our greatest achievement, I think, which was getting Eve to um, introduce <laughs> <Yes>. our <laughs> screening of Whippet. 
And yes. I don't think I've ever seen Karina as happy. <laughs> I wish it was on our it was on our team WhatsApp, but I wish I'd seen Karina in real life when we saw the news that Eve was going to be introducing Whippet for us. I it think was... I might have cried. I was <laughs> like, wait, Eve. Eve knows who Bechtel Tetsfest is. Eve is going to record this intro. We should post it online because we've got the video somewhere. So I think we should definitely publish it. But yeah, Steph was um, the muscle behind that. That's incredible. Well, if it's online, we should definitely link in the show notes because, uh, I mean, if nothing else, I want to see that now. It's in my phone. I see, I look at it at least once a day. So it's It's great working with these girls and um, just to also big up our newsletter, which I absolutely love. Uh, Caitlin absolutely independently does it every week. And it's the newsletter I want to receive every week. It's just like all got all the really cool stuff going on for film and Main, obviously women in film but yeah it's just it's a it's a newsletter that I look forward to receiving um so yeah Caitlin's, Caitlin's got a finger on the pulse me too no I, I know it's Friday when that newsletter comes in um, <laughs> same with something I really love that you guys do is the uh when you tweet this week's female-led releases it's like again like, it's like one of the things I look forward to on a Friday so that's uh, worth following the social media account for sure we'll do all the plugging at the end so we've come together on Saturday morning with Karina, Beth, Steph and Caitlin to ask who is Lynn Shelton and decide which one of her under 90 minute movies should be screened at our festival as a special tribute screening. Each of our guest hosts has picked a movie and we're going to go through the list to discuss them together. But before we get to the films, let's talk about Lynn Shelton. Beth, I believe on who is she, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a big line. The titular line. Yeah, we're flipping the scripts for this episode, for this glorious collaboration. And so uh, for this instance, I'm going to come to Sam. So Sam, Lynn Shelton, who is she? Lynn Shelton was born in Oberlin, Ohio, and raised in Seattle, Washington. Shelton attended University of Washington. She then moved to New York and followed the master's degree of fine arts program in photography and related media at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. She began working in the film industry as a film editor, uh, and that's her first few credits on IMDb. Uh, She made a series of experimental short films uh, in her own time as well, outside her professional work. Lynn Shelton had always wanted to be a director, and and, uh, it's come up in quite a few interviews that that was always her goal, but she thought it was an unachievable thing because she didn't have the training or the the background. And she was worried that being in her mid-30s, it was too late to begin. But... Legend has it that she saw director Claire Denis speak at the Seattle Northwest Film Forum in 2003, where on stage Denis revealed that she was 40 when she directed her first feature film. And that revelation made Lynn Shelton realise that she still had plenty of time. So in 2004, she began writing and her directing her very first feature film with basically no budget, just a lot of determination and, and, uh, and some really great collaborators, uh, a film called We Go Way Back, which we won't discuss today, but it's worth seeking out. She was very much in the mumblecore filmmaking scene, which is the sort of early noughties American indie filmmaking scene, uh, where a lot of directors also acted in front of the camera. There's lots of lo-fi digital photography, lots of natural lighting, lots of handheld and lots of improvisation. She worked consistently in film and television over the next 15 years. Her feature work includes a film called Laggies and Outside In. Her TV credits are huge and highlights include New Girl, The Mindy Project, The Morning Show, Marin, Glow and Little Fires Everywhere. Lynn Shelton worked consistently up until her untimely death in 2020 uh, when she passed unexpectedly from acute myeloid leukaemia. She was 54 years old and she had 30 directing credits to her name. Her work is notable for often being low budget, but high quality, very naturalistic and often improvised. She gave many interviews over those 15 years of being a professional filmmaker. But one I read that really stuck with me uh, was when she said, I don't have a desire to make films that have cardboard cutouts or Hollywood stand in replicas of humans. I need the real deal. And I think Lynn Shelton really is the real deal. So to our panel... What does Lynn Shelton mean to you? When did you when did you first hear of her? What was her first film that you watched? So my relationship with with Lynn's work um, actually began with the film I'm talking about today, my designated film, which was Your Sister's Sister. And I watched it when it came out in 2011, which I, I can't believe that's 10 years ago now. I remember watching it at the time and being so profoundly touched by the vulnerability in that film and how beautifully and openly she shows the vulnerability of her characters. And I hadn't 
my I'd always love films, obviously. We all love films, that's why we're here. But I'd, I'd never seen something like that before. Um, and so that's where my relationship with her work began. I'm a film journalist, but I'm a TV journalist as well. So I've been very happy to follow her career as a as a TV director as well as uh, a filmmaker. And I think what I love about her approach to TV is just her ability to kind of bring out those those strengths in character in people, especially with big ensemble casts. Um, I mean, the the show I associate her with the most is Glow, which, you know, was, was very sadly cancelled last year. I think that was such a shame that we don't get to see those beautiful characters get the the kind of ending they deserve. But she she worked with that cast wonderfully. And I, and she had Alison Brie in there, which she, she worked with her on Mad Men. She only did one episode of Mad Men, but that was a, a really, really, really wonderful episode of that called um hands and knees which has some really complex like thorny women's storylines in that which was really great last year just after her death i spoke to you um an actress called ella hunt uh, and we were talking about a film called cat and the band which is just a it's just a, a small british comedy with a mcfly in it i forget which mcfly um <laughs> but we were chatting about that anyway but ella hunt her her kind of breakthrough role was in a show called dickinson which is on apple plus at the moment and a few of those episodes were directed by lynn shelton and I just, I'd asked her, it wasn't too long after after Lynn had passed away. And I've, I've got the quote, like the answer to what, what she said. And I said, how did she feel about her passing? And she said, Lynn created the most beautiful atmosphere on set. And I'm not just saying this, everyone around her when they were working with her was happy. Uh, we were shooting a scene in which my character Sue is on a ship with uh, Emily, Emily Dickinson, which is uh, Hayley Steinfield in the, in the show. And I had a rain machine and what felt like a, a hundred miles per hour wind machine blowing on me. And it was so strong, I couldn't open my eyes. But uh, after Lynn called Cut, she bundled me into this big hug because I was so freezing and excited. And we just hugged and jumped up and down for a few minutes. And I just think that is just so telling of the kind of person that she is. You know, so she works with so many people on these big shows and... And, and films and and she has time and space for everyone the more I, I kind of um listen to interviews with her or about her and it just seems like she's such a a giving and nurturing person not just a director but a person and I I, I think it was just such a such a huge loss I really do wish you know you, you get to meet your heroes through this job sometimes which is again why we do it and I just I really wish I'd had the time to kind of speak with her and and you know just let her know how much her work kind of gives people strength like it gives me strength and I think that's um that's really important absolutely agree with you there Beth um how about how about the rest of the panel I I first came across Lynn Shelton's work without actually realizing who Lynn Shelton was um it was back when I was working at Virgin Movies and I watched Say When aka Laggies it was at a time when I was just discovering film. I came quite late to film, but um, independent cinema was something of, a, of quite a new concept to me. And I was, you know, just used to stuff that was slapped on the side of a bus. And Laggies was this really lo-fi, um, you know, Kira Knightley was in it and I was used to Kira Knightley be doing these much more bigger, showier roles. And to be to be completely honest with you, I can't remember exactly what happens in the film, but I do remember this these characters and they really resonated and how different it was that I was looking at these representations of um, real women and how relatable they were and how lived in they felt. And it was at that time when I was, um, yeah, I was really discovering that there were dynamic representations of women in, in cinema and it was just, it, it completely blew open my idea of the ideas that there's so many characters like this that we never get to see or hear about and films directed by women as well. So yeah, it was just at that sort of kind of formulative time of discovering what independent cinema was, what it could do and how it could make people feel seen. And then to be honest, um, I, I, I got into podcasts hugely um, and Mark Moran is obviously a huge podcaster and um my partner really got me into listening to him and I think he's an excellent uh, interviewer. And in the same way that Lynn gets to the heart of her characters, Mark Moran as well, you can see where there's a, where there's a kindred ship with them both. They both really know how to derobe people and get to what it is that they're really about. When she passed, <laughs> my... Toby was like vis visibly upset I think and I was just like what's wrong because Mark Moran's girlfriend's just died and like because he he just he, he listens to him every week um you know you get that feeling that you know somebody and then when he 
was outpouring his grief for his his for for Lynn. Um, I listened to then, and it just kind of made me realise how much more work that she had that I had overlooked. And um, yeah, and, and took a bit of a bit more a bit more notice then. That particular podcast was um, podcast episode was just is <laughs> devastating, beautiful, honest, raw, all the things uh, that you could you know possibly expect from somebody that is 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 just so authentically grieving. <laughs> authentically grieving. I don't know what that means. Somebody that is so grieving, um, it was it was it was it was difficult to listen to, but but really beautiful send off for such a beautiful spirit. Absolutely, I think Mark Maron's you know, tribute was it's an incredible episode, well worth uh, listening to, and and the interview uh, he first met her by doing an interview with her uh, on his show, and then ended up working with her on on his own uh, TV show Marin, and later in Glow, and then in in Lynn's film uh, Sort of Trust that we'll talk about later. She also directed one of his stand up specials. You know, like they had a very fruitful partnership um, even before they were actually you know partners romantically. How about you, Caitlin? It's kind of bad, I guess. You know, I I didn't really know who she was. Um, I I definitely was someone who'd overlooked her work for sure. Um, and it, but I think it's nice to kind of look back and realise just how many things she'd worked on that I was engaging with. You know, shows like New Girl, which I loved when it first aired, and um, knowing that she was always kind of embedded within those shows and was doing so much work that that yeah admittedly I was overlooking but but she was always kind of there and then and then watching her films um you know ahead of this podcast just yeah feeling so you know sad that I hadn't engaged with them earlier and hadn't realized just how wonderful um you know she was as a filmmaker and and you know it's funny I think about a filmmaker uh, like Joe Swanberg who's who's almost like the male I guess a male equivalent uh filmmaker to to Lynn Shelton and I would always have watched Joe Swanberg's movies but I I never kind of yeah sought out Lynn's films even though they're very similar in tone and the naturalism and the comedy and things like that so yeah I'm just really glad I've had a chance now to to really sit with her films and, and connect with them um because I found so much within them and they're so rich and warm and and tender as well even in their kind of silliness and 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 comedy I think that's why it's important to do this podcast really like and unfortunately independent films are hard to find distribution and Lynn Shelton definitely experienced that I think the biggest UK release she had was your sister's sister which was 10 years ago but she as we you know spoke about in the intro she was making films right up until her untimely death and some of those last films sort of trust for example didn't get a proper uk release it slipped onto streaming a year after its us rollout it's a real shame but the television work was much more prominent and i think a lot of people's first uh, touchstone whether you know it or not uh, may have been you know through an episode of something uh, that lynn directed and steph how about you yeah i'm kind of the same as caitlin like i had watched kind of Glow and Mad Men, but hadn't really realised um, that she was behind some of those episodes. And I only really kind of came to actually start watching her films kind of in preparation for this podcast. Um, and I think as well, like I had, I might have had some kind of preconceived notions of what her films were about because like you Google your sister's sister and it's like Emily Blunt in a very 2000s like hat and glove set like looking out over the lake and it's like okay this is going to be like a really kind of like sappy romantic like thing that I'm not really into but like yeah watching her work it's like it's so different and warm and like there's so much going on and so many kind of real characters and they're funny without feeling like they're kind of trying too hard to be funny and I yeah, I'm just I'm kind of annoyed at myself that I didn't get into her work sooner, but um I'm really kind of looking forward to carrying on and watching more of her stuff because it's kind of really exciting to f- find a director that you really kind of vibe with her work and you just want to like watch all of her stuff. So regretting that I didn't come to it sooner, but now I'm like on the path. I'm on the Lynn Shelton like on all of her movies now. There's a wealth of Lynn Shelton related work out there. And I think you're right. The um, Unfortunately, her work didn't benefit from great marketing. Uh, I don't think. I think you know a lot of her films suffered from trying to position them as a mainstream proposition. Like I remember the Your Sister Sister poster, you know, trying to look like a knockabout rom-com. And it's, it's, it is funny, but it's more than that. And it's definitely not, you know, like a trad rom-com in, in that respect. That's absolutely right. And I mean, this is when I was doing film marketing at, and her film came on, on on to you know it's on my pile of films to market and yeah you could tell the distributor didn't know what to do with it she has got a really successful body of work and you know with hump day for instance which we'll talk about later she only made that for twenty thousand dollars but it made four hundred thousand at box office so you know these are these 
very low budget, but yet she still has managed to get loads of awards. And in the independent film world, she really is a star. She makes the budget work hard and often working, even if it's got a starry cast, often has very little budget behind it. I think a lot of actors love working with her. She's very sociable uh, by all accounts. I've heard a few people tweet about legendary karaoke sessions with Lynn Shelton whenever she was in town. But uh, yeah, a lot of actors did uh, did the films for a deferred fee. Uh, a lot of the amazing sets that we see in her films are just friends' houses. Like she's got friends with nice houses, um, you know, and she knows how to pick a location and, and make it really work uh, on screen. I think she also is very good at you know, limiting the story to just a few locations, you know. There's no need to keep moving the crew around. Uh, if you can do everything in a house or a hotel room, let's do that. Yeah, she's she's just such a... Uh, so talented in making the absolute most out of such little. The main feature in our podcast today is we've whittled Lynn Shelton's work down to four movies. She actually made the over for under 90 minute films but for the purposes of this podcast we chose four of the sort of most easily accessible films because independent filmmaker hard to find some of her work unfortunately if we go through each film by film and have a have a chat and at the end of this we're going to decide which film is best suited to the 90 minutes or less lynn shelton special tribute screening caitlin would you like to kick us off with sword of trust from 2019 just 88 minutes long yes very very happily i'm a huge fan of this film it's a strange one i I admit when i first read the synopsis i was a bit like what am i what am i getting in for but um essentially it's a film about a couple who inherit um a sword from one of their grandfathers who's recently passed away and it comes with this letter and these images that that seem to prove that the sword or the sword proves that the south won the american civil war so yeah quite a sort of uh, outlandish uh, concept and this couple then take the sword to a pawn shop and they team up with mel who's played by mark moron who we've discussed and they set out to kind of try and make some money off of people that are willing to believe that this sword proves that the south won the civil war and yeah as i say it's it's an outlandish concept but it has all of the real kind of trademarks of of Lynn's films. You know, there's there's a silliness to it, there's a humour to it, but it's it's so intensely moving in so many ways, so funny. Also, I think has this really interesting political um, commentary. You know, it was made in 2019, and it's it's telling this story about you know why people believe what they want to believe. You know, it, it explores you know conspiracy theory and all these kind of little things in in a lot of subtext, but does it so so interestingly and so gently, and it's not. I think it could have been a film in different hands. It could have been quite a a mocking film. It could have been something that really takes the mick out of people that do believe things like that. But I don't think it does that at all. I think it's hugely warm and generous and also just has this heartbreaking narrative about actually about Mark Moron and and Lynn Shelton, who's in the film herself, playing a playing a drug, drug addict and former uh, lover of Mark Moron, who's still trying to work through his heartbreak and, and their relationship. And it's just handled so beautifully. Um, it's a really wonderful, wonderful film. I, I really loved it. And as soon as I saw it, I texted the group and I was like, I'm going to bat for this one. Like I need to, I really want to talk about this one. It's so lovely. Just a, just a really warm and honest and funny film. I think this is, uh, you know, this is her last feature film. It's kind of like the best of everything she's great at. It's got comedy, it's naturalistic. It's got a devastating storyline in there as well with some really heartfelt performances as well as some knockabout comedy performances like it fits a lot into 88 minutes for sure i mean mark moron is just so good in it as an actor he's really brilliant and michaela watkins and Gillian bell play the play the couple who've who've inherited the sword and their their dynamic and chemistry they play kind of polar opposites of each other i guess and and the way that their dynamic works in their relationship is so so funny and so brilliantly performed and there's this kind of extended scene where they're all sitting in the back of this lorry that's trans- that's transporting them to this place where they're hoping to sell the sword and just the emotional connection and resolution that the characters find you know in that sequence of just talking is so brilliantly done and and so yeah so moving um it's a really wonderful wonderful moment in a film that's kind of you know marked by lots of comedy and lots of silliness but is so grounded by that that particular scene that back of the um van scene i th- there's a really great interview with Lynn Shelton and and Mark Moron where they're talking about that and that took hours and it was 
so hot and I think it took like eight hours or something like that and they were sitting in the back of this van just getting more and more sweltering and more and more hot and bothered I don't think we've yet talked about how much of a fan she is of improvisation. Basically, it's like 80% improvisation throughout the whole um, of her body of work. And basically, Mark Burns talking about this anecdote where afterwards he just leaves that van and just walks off. And everyone's like, is he all right? He's just like, I just got to get out of there, man. <laughs> I hate everyone. No, because he's an angry man, right? But, you know, he's he, he's he's done the work. He knows how to handle his anger, but he just walked off. He was just like, I can't be in there for any longer because otherwise I will flip out and kill somebody. But I, I was just thinking about that sort of combustion of them all being in there for that long. But it delivered this really wonderful scene of them just all getting to know one another. And that was all improvised so economic isn't it you've got an independent film you need to have sort of a 10 minute sort of dialogue scene to build up the characters put them in the back of a van make them talk <laughs> there's nothing else they can do beautiful beautiful work there uh what did you think steph i yeah really liked it i was really surprised at just yeah the general kind of storyline and how they kind of handled it and like caitlin was saying i think they kind of deal with that kind of conspiracy theory thing in like a really interesting way it's quite kind of gentle and like there's a scene where the shop assistant is trying to explain like flat earth theory and like who is explaining it to she's just like oh okay but like what about this like and it's just so like she's so like polite and i think that might be a way in which quite a lot of people would respond if like a near stranger started being like, well, actually the earth is flat and here's some evidence to support. Like you just be like, okay, I'll just like c- continue with this conversation for a bit until I can like get away type thing. But um, yeah, it's so funny how kind of finding comedy in a situation where maybe a lot of filmmakers would just go for like straight confrontation or like go in a different direction. It's like, a really kind of fun way of doing it and yeah Mark Moran is like so good in this film it it made me want to go back and kind of I'd never finished the third season of Glow so I need to like go back and finish that because I just remembered like how much I enjoy his performance in that show and yeah just so kind of that like grouchy guy with these like amazing one-liners it's just yeah so good it's funny you should say actually about um how it could be based on a real situation because that's something that I've read of Lynn she she had a very long uber ride with the driver and she was having lots of conversations with him and after when she got out um he started talking to her about these conspiracy theories and she had spent so much time with him that she kind of got this assumption that he was you know pretty level-minded and then all of a sudden started coming out with all these um conspiracy theories about the how the world is flat and she was just like what and he's like google it man google it it's there it's there just google it and she was just like this is so fascinating how you just can you you just never know who thinks these very wild things um but with a compassionate side and be like you know some people do feel and think these things so you know there's space for us all what you are looking at yes is a genuine relic that supports the actual truth which is the south mm-hmm. won the war Okay. The South won the war? That's right. This is something it's, you want to keep under your hat till you're ready to Seems like pretty big news. The best way to do this is through concrete evidence. Is this antique roadshow for racists? Up to $50,000. God damn it. Should we skip back to 2011 now and talk about Your Sister's Sister, which was Beth's film? So Your Sister's Sister, 2011, 90 minutes, bang on the money, starring Emily Blunt, Mark Duplass and Rosemary DeWitt. Beth, take it away. This is, I mean, it's just an incredibly pared down, and that's not to say it doesn't lack impact, but it's an incredibly pared down three-hander between the three. Mark Duplass plays Jack, a struggling sort of white man in plaid shirts it's it's a year after the death of his brother tom and it begins with a very uh tense passive aggressive confrontation if that's if if those are words that can belong together that's that's what i envision a passive like very kind of restrained but you know tense exchange at um a memorial party and tom is is 
it, it's immediate how embittered he is by the by the scenario. And so his best friend Iris, played by Emily Blunt, dispatches him to her family cabin on an island in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, just sends him off with like his bag and his bike, basically, to go and and have some solitude and and kind of get back to basics because she misses him and then once he's there he shows up and and her sister who's Rosemary DeWitt her, her sister Hannah is there she's just um going through a breakup um with her girlfriend and and is still feeling very raw and, and also very bitter much tequila is shot sexual relations are had and then the next morning Iris shows up and has decided that she wants to, to come and see him, not knowing that um, her sister's there and just sort of wants to come along and have a nice time as well. And then it becomes this very awkward scenario where both don't want to really tell her that they've they've slept together. And then the dynamics of the, the three of them are kind of laid bare. Again, in this way, as, as I said before, in a way that's very vulnerable and sweet, but kind of lightly funny as well. And I rewatching this again, I think I messaged the girls and, and I was like, I, I don't like Mark Duplass in this at all like at the, <laughs> it's funny because this does come at kind of the the, the crest of mumblecore and and he's just the king isn't he like i say plaid shirts are battered by you know very um confident in his own kind of awkwardly independent skin and he's he's not supposed to be likable that's not that's not it but um he's you know he kind of comes in with this light kind of slightly patronizing energy and manages to seduce uh, Rosemary DeWitt in this, who I found out it was supposed to be, Rachel Weisz was supposed to be playing her in the film, which is interesting because we've since learned that nobody does abrasive lesbian quite like Rachel Weisz. So I would have really <laughs> liked to have seen that that dynamic. But then obviously Rosemary DeWitt is a delight. But what really elevates this film for me is Emily Blunt. Like this was just before she became a, a really commercial actress, she still had some big projects under her belt. She'd just done the Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon. And, you know, she was she was working her way up from, I mean, we, we all mostly knew her from Devil Wears Prada was her first kind of breakout role. But this was just before she went into Looper and then Lived, I Repeat, or whatever our equivalent of that film is. But she really was a salve in this film. Just a, a sweet, but not sentimental. But she, do you know what? She was sentimental, but not in a way that felt kind of soapy or saturated. Um, and what I really like about Lynn Shelton's process is that she usually goes into a project with her actors in mind and develops the characters with her actors, which means that there is a decent amount of Emily Blunt to be found in this character, which just confirms that Emily Blunt is probably the nicest person on the planet. But there's just something about her innocence and her loyalty and her just devotion to both of these people who are naughty and have uh, are they're suspicious of love I think is quite a a fair thing to say and she just gets to kind of come in and and almost like bathe them in her sincerity and I think that's it's it's so beautiful and touching to watch. I do think my attitudes towards some of the themes in the film have changed slightly, and our our attitudes towards them perhaps have evolved generally. There's a um, scenario with consent, I guess, is is what lies towards the end of the film that I was like, I don't think. I would laugh about that today quite as much as I did 10 years ago. But it is, it's mostly shot in this like bucolic, beautiful island in this, in this rickety, but like earthy house, which just feels like it's got healing powers of its own. And it is just glorious to watch these three performers just so evidently respond to Lynn Shelton. Like it's, it's so like, palpable and um yeah I love it I, I do love it in spite of you know some attitudes towards <laughs> towards Mark Duplass's character I, I I adore this film wow that's fantastic it was my definitely my first Lynn Shelton film uh, I think I ever saw I had the pleasure of seeing that at the cinema uh, was there any other thoughts on the film from the panel I, I think it really shows kind of what I was saying about the, how uh, the two women in sort of trust are so different but work so well together. I think it's another example of that. The the Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt, the sisters' dynamic is so well enacted and just really beautifully performed. But I think it's something Lynn Shelton does really well is 
pair these two characters that are opposites and but have you know so much connection you know to to balance them out between between the two um and there's this lovely scene where uh the emily blunt character is like getting into bed with with rosemary dewitt and 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 sort of bugging her sister who's just trying to sleep and emily blunt's like this little puppy dog kind of trying to (laughs) keep her older sister awake um to talk about you know her feelings and, and all this stuff and yeah it's just really gentle and softly handled and you could just really imagine two sisters actually having that dynamic and and working through their thoughts together as one's trying to fall asleep and the other one is you know trying to keep her awake yeah i think absolutely that again we have another film where lynn has given us another masterclass in how awkward relationships can be and even though the situations seem so outlandish they're actually very plausible you can imagine yourself rocking up to, to to some cottage somehow with your sister and kind of having this awkward breakfast the next day where you can smell tequila and you know something's happened and you're just slowly unraveling. Like, it's just all very plausible, preposterous, all at the same time. I just love the way that she plays with our expectations of what relationships can be. So the sisters and sexuality as well. Sexuality is, is a through line through pretty much all of her films as well. She's very interested in the dynamics of sexual relationships, family relationships, and she bends them to a point where they might well snap. And I think what's interesting about this film in particular is the ending, and I won't give it away, but I just love the ending because, again, that ties in with what we as viewers are led to expect, especially from something like Hollywood, and it flips it on on its head and it gives you the independent, by its very essence, version of what could happen. And it's, it's a really lovely ending that gives us the audience an opportunity to make our own mind up. 90 minutes very well spent with that film you're on an island it's three in the morning and you're drinking by yourself yeah what's going on really i'm not good for small talk so i apologize if i'm uh barging through the doors of your privacy right yeah, now. yeah it's okay you kind of are but i it's, am uh... i apologize Let's talk about your slippers. Okay, let's talk about my slippers. Your slippers are awesome. Shall we move on to film number three, Touchy Feely, 2013, 88 minutes long, back to 88, starring Rosemary DeWitt, Elliot Page, and Scoot McNary. Steph, do you want to take us away? Yeah, so there's kind of two stories going on in Touchy Feely. So we have Rosemary DeWitt playing a masseuse who kind of suddenly can't stand the thought of personal contact and um, and being close to kind of skin. And then we have another story with this kind of dentist kind of stuck in a rut, Josh Pays, doing a, like a really sad Steve Carell type character. And uh, he kind of develops this like magic touch, like healing touch with all his customers and word gets around and everybody kind of starts coming to him to, to be magically healed by this magic dentist. There's a lot of kind of storyline in this that when I first started watching it, I thought was verging on kind of too quirky to work. But I think Lynn Shelton really kind of like pulls it back and it's quite restrained. And actually, um, I ended up really liking it and thought it was like kind of really sensitive. And it almost reminded me of Ang Lee's movie Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. But um, it's kind of like a lot of the story revolves around these like dinners that people go to like at each other's houses and the family kind of coming together to kind of tie the the story and all the characters together and then they kind of go off and do their separate storylines and have their own kind of struggles um and there's kind of a really lovely final long take at the end as well which is kind of revolving around them all sitting down to dinner I really love the kind of yeah all of the performances I think Rosemary DeWitt is so great and she's such a charismatic actor and for ages I was like trying to think of where I'd seen her and it's because she's uh one of the characters in Mad Men that really kind of stood out to me um and I just yeah she's just so wonderful and she just plays off all the other actors so well and in kind of your sister sister and in this she has this really kind of thorny side and has all these kind of personal issues going on um and can really kind of alienate other characters but then she has so much kind of charisma and charm that she kind of gets away with it and she really kind of carries the film a lot but yeah just yeah the performances are so good i felt like it was a really good film to watch in pandemic times as well because 
part of Rosemary DeWitt's character, the kind of masseuse that hates touching people, is about her kind of kind of being lost and not having any connection with kind of nature and like what she actually loves doing. Um, and there's kind of a really good scene where she reconnects with what she enjoys, which is like hiking and being outdoors and connecting with like the earth and touching moss and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think that was a really, that kind of spoke to me in in the sense of kind of being stuck indoors and not having much connection with other people or like yeah nature and things that I'd kind of missed that are part of my identity and keep me going in the past year oh I forgot to say Alison Janney amazing like (laughs) Alison Janney is this like reiki healer that um is kind of like this great character who the other characters kind of drop in for advice on sometimes that advice is good sometimes maybe not She's this like Reiki healer and she kind of is connecting with the dentist character who's kind of trying to find out what is this potential healing touch that he has? Like, what is this kind of energy flow and stuff like that? Kind of going to go a bit galaxy brain here in that kind of way, that pushing of energy that Alice and Jenny is trying to explain that can kind of be translated into the energy that directors put out to their audience like you you can't physically touch an audience through the screen but you can kind of send out a certain energy through your filmmaking and I think this is like a really good example of the type of energy that Lynn Shelton puts out through her films you will like laugh at it and there's definitely some stuff that is maybe verging on like Sundance Festival quirkiness but like in the end like you always like have some sort of feeling connected to it and yeah and just connect in a way that I don't always think a lot of films do for an audience and I would really like to to see some of her films in the cinema because I think like that that kind of energy that a director is trying to give to people who are viewing their films um can definitely come through better on a big screen but even like sitting watching it on my laptop it was like I definitely got like a certain feeling from it Amazing to hear about your relationship with this film and watching it in this particular context. I think uh, Touchy Feely was a world I loved being in. And I think you're right, like seeing this in a cinema, like with no distractions and being fully immersed, you know, you would feel like you're part of that community, uh, which would not be a bad thing. I I, I loved being there for these 88 minutes. Just before we move on, is there any any additional thoughts on on Touchy Feely from the rest of the panel? I just wanted to add, I, I was most moved by her depiction of depression in this film. And there was a really beautiful quote from her interview with Mark Marin, which I mean we we can't recommend enough as like additional homework on her. This is such a but I like the way that she spoke about Rosemary DeWitt's character and how the depression that manifests in her is, is like her soul kind of telling her that that she's not where she's supposed to be. And I think that and and what how Steph so wonderfully put it as the sad Steve Carell character, like how it it as someone who has like suffered from depression in the past and how it ruminates on on those insecurities and loneliness as well like to see that so elegantly and empathetically handled effortlessly it felt so effortless i think that is a real strength of this this film as well I, I just want to shout out the the two kind of smaller plot lines i guess the elliot page uh plot line i think is so sad and beautiful and you know they're such a lonely character and trying to sort of break free and do their own thing in the world and sort of break out of the constraints of their father's business and also the the person that they feel this kind of unrequited love for and oh gosh it's just yeah heartbreaking but then also the the moments between Rosemary DeWitt and Ron Livingston who just like appears for like a five minute scene or whatever but that moment where I think I think Lynn Shelton's just so good at layering relationships and understanding how past relationships affect everything you do um, in the present and knowing how to sort of gently push people away from the things that are wrong for them and towards the things that are right for them. And by the end of all her films, you do feel this sense of everyone being in their kind of right place, even though they've taken some time to get there. Um, And I just love that scene. Uh, Yeah, it was just, it was really heartbreaking, but, but, you know, as I say, this emotional resolution is, is always there. I mean, he was supposed to be my rebound, you know? Yeah. Just my get back in the game guy. We're yeah, and each look other what back. happened. Isn't that awful? Something beautiful happened. Is it? To actually have a 
Is it? I don't yes. know. Is it being tied down again going to be awesome, or is it going to be like a cage and like? No, Ooh. honey. I keep telling you. I've always told you. You have something that yes started sexually, mm-hmm. and it's grown into something beautiful. That's what happened for me and Charlie. We started out that way, and that was the most meaningful relationship of my entire life. Should we move on to our final film, which is actually the earliest film that we'll be talking about today in Lynn Shelton's filmography. We've got Hump Day from 2009. Again, 90 minutes, bang on. Living on the edge there, Lynn, starring Mark Duplass, Joshua Leonard, Alicia Dillmore, and Lynn Shelton pops up in this one too. Over to Karina. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to get this one in, um, but we got it in because it's bang on 90, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. But this is such a, a hoot it's so funny and so interesting and so tender. And so what we've got is we have a love with straight in with a lovey-dovey couple trying to make a baby. Um, you can tell that they're 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 so in love still and um very healthy relationship. And we've got Mark Duplass, who's obviously one of Lynn Shelton's muses, essentially, again, and they work so well together. And this is one of their greatest, I think, working partnerships here. Um so Ben and Anna, they are a happy happily married couple and then they suddenly get a knock on the door three in the morning by their nomadic mate that has been off radar for about 10 years he is uh, Joshua Joshua Leonard who's actually I didn't realize was in um, the Blair Witch Project so yeah Andrew crashes in on their lovemaking session and proceeds to reconnect with the with this bromance that they once had and it's a real stark difference between the two of them so you've got Ben on one hand who's a, who's in a loving relationship and Andrew who's basically essentially still haven't grown up so Ben's looking at this life and actually thinking oh maybe maybe I'm maybe I do still want to kind of sow some oats and stretch stretch out a bit anyway there's a party that Andrew comes across and it's essentially a swingers party and at that swingers party he invites Ben to come along and Ben comes along and they all get high they all get drunk and this is where Lynn Shelton is actually in it as well she's Monica she's hosting the party and they all get drunk and they talk about entering hump fest which is a real porn festival amateur porn festival and they come up with the idea with, wouldn't it be so great if we had sex? We're not gay, but we had sex. We could submit our film to this porn festival and it would be beyond gay. And I just love the idea of they, them, the, the, the absolute ego of them thinking that these two middle-aged <laughs> cuddly men would be art <laughs> is just <laughs> amazing. Um, so... They're essentially they're pushing each other to the edges. They're like, no, I, I, can we do it? Can we do it? And then they end up that they make the pact. Then of course there's the next day, but they're so competitive with one another. They none of them wants to back down. So there's this great scene where they're playing basketball, which I think is the great setting for this quite macho conversation to unpack what it is that they've competitively agreed on the night before, which is essentially to have sex with one another, even though they are not gay. Um, whilst they're huffing and puffing along the street and doing this non-contact sport, they're trying to practically decide how they're actually going to do it. And they, have, they 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 come to the conclusion that they're going to hire a, a a motel and film it and you know do all that. So there's this real level of brinkmanship going on, and it's building and building, and all the time that we're just going, oh, it's cringing and it's it's tense. And then of course we have to go back to Anna, who is the loving wife. So Anna finds out that this pact has been made, but not through Mark. This is actually through Andrew, who they get drunk together. Andrew has this assumption based on what Mark has said about his wife being so lovely and and understanding. And he says, oh, it's so great. You're so understanding. And then he's just like, what do you mean? And they it comes to light that, that they've made this pact. And then Anna does flip out. But what's really great about this particular film is that conversation, that confrontation where... Mark admits what is about to happen to his wife. So I'm going to have sex with a man for art, for art's sake. And you expect them to, to all unravel and go, go tits up. And then actually she comes out with her own revelation, which I'll let you watch to find out. But that particular scene is so interesting because she is bringing her own dynamics. Because this is very much a film about two men, but she is very much in the centre of this and because she's got her story. She's got 
a very well-rounded character. And at no point does Lynn allow her to be one-dimensional. And I think that's a really great, again, with the way that she's looking at relationships being so complex and um, playing with expectations and what we expect from one another and what monogamy means. So yeah, it's a really interesting chamber piece with these characters and they all love each other. They're all, they've all got their backstories, they've all got histories. Um, but what essentially is great about this is the tense build-up to if they're going to do it. And it's such a masterclass in machoism and masculinity. And it reminds me of something that Bechtel Tesfested years ago called Masculinity in the Movies, where we were looking at depictions of men on screen and how dangerous they could be. Toxic masculinity is a bit of a buzzword now. And this is such an interesting one to unpack because it is from a female director and she's given those characters so much room. They feel so much so authentic, but you can't help but question what relationships actually mean when you're married, what men mean to one another, what friendship means to male egos. Um, and yeah, you just it's, it's just spinning with conversations really come out of it. There's just so much to, so much to say. There's actually a French remake as well, I must add. Oh, wow. Now, it's got, and it, it's from a male director, Yvan Attal, and it was made in 2012. It's got Charlotte Gainsbourg in it. I haven't seen it but it has got 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll be rushing to it. But I am very interested to see it. And Lynn herself says that she's not a big fan of this French adaptation because her ending is much more from a female tender perspective, whereas his ending is something else. And again, can't really say too much without spoiling it, but um, you can. it would be a great compare and contrast into the female gaze and the male gaze as to how they broach this particular difficult subject. So for the adventurous listener, we're recommending Hump Jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think Hump Day has the best acting with a coat hanger on screen. I don't know if you remember the scene where Mark Duplass is caught in the headlights. He's just had the, uh, the revelation has come out in the drinking session and he gets called into the room and he's obviously doing something upstairs, pottering around, but he comes in with a coat hanger and then has to kind of confess to his wife and his best friend uh, that he hasn't done either thing that he's told both of them previously. And I just couldn't take my eyes off the coat hanger. <laughs> <laughs> you just spend yourself, this whole film, you spend in a continued state of, of awe and holding your breath and just waiting for the next revelation to drop and what what the next person's going to do um yeah i think it's f fantastic i can't stop thinking about it honestly and i'm still kind of unwinding the politics in my own head as to how this actually worked because on in, again in the wrong hands this could be quite dangerous ground for coming across as uh homophobic or just um a bit naff or a bit silly but there's so much heart and work that's been put into it and again completely improvised which also makes it so interesting the particular last scene where they are where they make it to the hotel room and what we're seeing is that improvisation of two guys pushing each other to the ultimate edge as to who's going to uh i want to say crack first but <laughs> leave that to your own um <laughs> assumptions of what that means but yeah it's 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 so interesting thank you very much was there any any final thoughts on hump day before we move on yeah i just really agree with a lot of what karina said i think especially the uh the storyline about the wife and how she's not just this kind of you know like abandoned side character she actually kind of you know has a counterpoint to what to what her husband's saying and, and has has a story of her own to tell um that sort of matches him uh and 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 yeah keeps her sort of you know steadily within the, the center of the story I thought was really really special and it's just yeah it's just a, a, a good old bromance comedy for sure it's <laughs> yeah ultimate the ultimate bromance has a very striking poster as well, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. And the French version has also uh, done the same poster. It's it's so bizarre. <laughs> I, really, I, I do want to see it just out of curiosity when I've got some time. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to might seek it out after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's under 90 minutes long, because if not, there will be hell to pay. It's on. Is somebody having sex in his film? Yes, as far as I understand. <laughs> what are you doing? Um... You said you were going to tell her and she said she knew and then I just talked about it and I guess she didn't know. I cannot believe I'm talking to you about making a porn film with him. You're pretty solidly not gay. Yeah, I think the same thing about you too. Um. 
So we've met our contenders on this uh, this bizarre game show podcast that we're doing. We've met the players. Uh, we've got four movies, four films, which I all think we all really like by the sounds of things. This next job would be a lot easier if we were like, nah, <laughs> move on. <laughs> uh, so we've got four brilliant films that I think we'd all recommend. But for this film festival that we're putting on, we've only got room for one Lynn Shelton film to go on the big screen and be watched with an audience. We have the very difficult task of now whittling these down to that one final film. I guess, I guess, first of all, because everybody has come on with a film in particular, does anybody not want to root for their own film? I was a little bit on the fence anyway, and it is a tough job, but I, I really, really enjoyed Touchy Feely, and I think that Steph's like beautiful way of comparing it to the energy that Lynn Shelton puts out as a director with, with what we're seeing on the screen is, is has won me over. So I think Touchy Feely is, is my one to back. Sorry, your sister, sister. I adore you, but... Oh, even saying this, I'm like, do I? No, it's Touchy Feely. I'm going to go for Touchy Feely. Yeah, I think we, we're still recommending all of these films, so we just of need to get to that are, one yeah. for the screening. Um, <laughs> this okay. is it. This is it. I do think that you should watch them all together, and I think it would be brilliant to put them on all together. And this is me just, just like trying to push the envelope. I was like, just put them all <laughs> But But, you know, collectively, that's when you really appreciate how much work she puts in and how successful she is in awkward relationships improvisation low budget and really landing every time yeah i mean i i watched three of them back to back last night and one again this morning and they they totally work as a marathon only six hours very considerate <laughs> runtimes um but we got one vote there for touchy feely thank you very much beth what do you think steph touchy feely was your film yeah i feel like i've kind of also talked myself round on it in the last hour i guess it depends as well if you're like starting if that's like the first film of her she'll want to watch or not because i think maybe something like your sister sister would be a better like first watch but um i think ultimately touchy feely is the one that's like kind of stayed with me the most and i would kind of recommend around to people so that's that's my vote i vote for myself <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fine i'm fully support that okay so we've got two two for touchy feely uh what do you think caitlin your film was sort of trust yeah i i mean i love sort of trust and i think i w- it will be a film i really recommend to people um i think it's yeah all of as we say all of the all of the things that lynn shelton does so well really condensed into into that one film um and it's yeah just really stayed with me since i watched it i will say steph has also talked me around a lot on touchy feely i liked it i did really like it as a film but i think i think it's a really valid point that if that's the first one you're going to watch you might think this is too weird and i i'm not really getting it but that was actually the last one I watched so by that point I was like very much into her films and and understood the dynamic but it is a film that's really that's that has stayed with me as well I wouldn't be sad if we chose touchy-feely over sort of trust but sort of trust is is definitely a film I will recommend to lots of people I think those two were probably my top picks what I like what sort of trust is it's got you know the highs are high it's got some really laugh out loud moments as well as that you know heartbreaking scene with with Mark Maron in the back of the truck when he's doing a story which is quite close to his own personal story yes. uh, with addiction um, in, in my eyes that's the best of Lynn Shelton but also Touchy Feely has that too and, and those rich character it's such a character film it's not a plot film uh, and, and I quite like when a film doesn't really have a huge narrative focus it just lets you drink in these you know quite naturalistic but also complex and slightly heightened relationships between each other um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough choice there. So, so you, you could, you could back touchy feely. I could back touchy feely, but I will just to, to make my position very clear on sort of trust as well. <laughs> but you're on the record for sort of trust. I like it. Uh, okie dokie. Okay. So as much as I think Hump Day is so hilarious, so interesting, it's a good night out and would make a great festival movie. Obviously you have to screen it on a Wednesday because, you know, hump day. Um, <laughs> I've already thought that Dan Savage would make a great Q&A host. And Dan Savage is the founder of Humpfest, which is the actual real life amateur festival. And he is a big bo- podcaster and he's a huge LGBT rights activist and um, talks about relationships. And because all her films talk about relationships, I think it would be great to unpick those, all of them with, with, with Dan. But... Now, let's not get too far away from what Bechtel Test Fest is all about, and that is looking at female stories and great female representation and touchy-feely, particularly as we are um, in, in, in a space where we should be celebrating Lynn and what she brings and what she was about and the fact that touchy-feely actually has her in it, 
her her own experiences, her own depictions of depression, and her most creative piece of filmmaking. I think you know the hedonistic depictions of when she takes ecstasy is 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 so beautiful as well. Um, I I think. I think it would be only right to actually screen Touchy Feely as part of the festival in memoriam to Lynn and what she's about and how beautiful her filmmaking is and her um, front and centre depiction of women. That was quite a smooth process. Is this what it's like when you're planning a Bechdel test fest screening? Every time, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing if not professional, Sam. Yes. So. <laughs> no, we have a massive fight around the back. <laughs> we used to have five of us. We don't talk about the one that we killed. It's <laughs> like the drummer in Spinal Tap. Just. Uh... It's a hard task. I I was really intrigued to see where it would go. I thought it might go for. I think your sister's sister is probably the most famous of the films. Um, I thought you sort of trust. You know, it's got it's the most recent film. Uh, Hump Day is you know such a bol- ballsy concept. Uh, hey. And and, uh, hey. <laughs> and and I could have seen it's gone that way. So we all agreed. Touchy Feely from 2013 is the Lynn Shelton special tribute screening at the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Woo! <laughs> So at our festival, which only shows under 90 minute films, we need to do all of the things that you guys are very familiar for doing um, at a screening. Like we need to choose a cinema. What cinema would you like to show this film at? It could be anywhere in the world. It'd have to be a film theatre in Seattle, no? Oh, that's lovely. Mm. That is such a nice answer. That's narrow it down. Or some kind of like outdoor screening in the wilderness, you know, with like oh, all the moss yeah. around. <laughs> yes, yes. A forest in Seattle at nightfall. On ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> well, my next question was, what snack should we serve at the screening? We covered that Nobody eats uh, on ecstasy. There we go. <laughs> there's the sort of hot pockets uh, conversation as well, and and like the, the oh the calzones. We the need calzone. to serve calzones. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we also need to pick maybe a guest to introduce the film or, or someone to do a Q and A. Obviously, I think Lynn Shelton would be our first choice. Uh, but we cannot ask Lynn. But but who would who do you think should be a good ambassador for this film? Again, like you guys must have this all the time when you're planning your screenings. And and the part of me wants to say, can we just ask Eve to introduce this one? As well? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's our answer to everything. <laughs> Eve? No? Okay. <laughs> but if you had to pick someone, I guess closer to the film, although I'm sure Eve is, you know, she's a you got a lot of taste, and I'm sure she'd enjoy this film. Who who would you like to reach out to? I would actually love to get the musician who plays the song in the film because he's an actual musician who I've since listened to. Yeah, right. And his Beautiful. music is great. We could have like a little live, you know, performance. That would be wonderful. Okay, I like it. So we're in a forest in Seattle. As people arrive, there's going to be some lovely acoustic guitar playing. Um, so the crowd, cow zones are going to be fired up in the corner. Reiki. Reiki's happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yes. Obviously a free Reiki. dentist checkup. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, making it for a local Seattle dentist so we can support local business. I just want Alice and Janney to float through the crowd, you know, like with her healing <laughs> oh. touch. I love her so much. So <laughs> yes. Nice. Maybe, maybe she's the ambassador. Maybe you know she's the one who who can say a few words before the film as well. Yeah, I mean the, the, the cast are so great. It would be great to have them back on stage. And anybody that's worked with Lynn. I'm sure has would would jump at the chance to really talk about how great it was to work with her. So getting as many as the cast back as possible. But Mark Duplass as well. I'd love to see him because he's, you know, her right hand man, literally. And what the hell? Invite Mark Moron as well. I'd love to have to have the have him down. I think it only seems right for it to be a, a reunion uh, sort of thing. And, and she's got so many links with local filmmakers in Seattle and, and film foundations there. Something really nice that, that happened after the sad news of, of Lynn passing away was the Duplass Brothers production company have now got a Lynn Shelton grant, uh, which they only award to a woman or a non-binary person who's over 39 years of age, which is when Lynn started to direct. And it's basically they will fund their first feature. It has to be a first feature, uh, a woman or a non-binary person over 39 years old. And they're awarding that every year. Maybe we could link up with them they could reveal who's going to get the next grant at the end of this film Definitely. and that's the next screening of Bechdel Test Fest sorted <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that this was a useful you know a working session yeah <laughs> always always working
Thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about Lynn Shelton. Obviously, lots to cover, and, and we've only you know covered four films. There's way more work out there, um, so do check out her IMDb uh, and have a look, um, especially at the other under ninety minute films. And uh, and we'll see you all at our screening of Touchy Feely and somewhere in Seattle <laughs> at some when, when international travels a thing uh, again. Where can where can people hear more about what's going on with the uh, Bechdel Test Fest and, and find the podcast? We are at Bechtel test fest please don't ask me to spell out loud because i don't have that ability but if anybody else wants to they can do that but at bechtel test fest on instagram and twitter and facebook um and we have a dedicated page to our podcast on bechteltestfest.com or you can google who is she bechtel test fest podcast on all your regular podcast platforms and Sam, thank you so much for having us on and letting us have the space to kind of reconnect or discover Lynn's work. It's been really lovely to do this with you. We also have to shout out that Sam is wearing an extraordinary t-shirt with all of Lynn Shelton's film titles on it, which is amazing and I will probably have to go and buy now. But yeah, thank you for having us on and and letting us have this kind of platform to celebrate somebody who should definitely have more eyes on her work fully agree with that just on the t-shirt actually they're sold by one of lynn's friends uh, and all the money goes to charity so uh, yeah we'll put a link in the show notes i've got two one says watch more lynn shelton films which i fully agree with and one is her filmography listeners if you've enjoyed this chat today we've got more with karina and beth uh, when they joined us for the 90 minutes less film first karina chose francis ha and beth chose jason statham's crank <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just felt rebellious that day. What can I say? So on brand. Uh, I, I loved it. It's a wonderful chat, and I'm so glad we got a Jason Statham film in our fest, uh, which we'll be playing alongside. Maybe, maybe just after Touchy Feely. Uh, uh, Steph and Caitlin, it would be great to get you on and hear your film choices uh, one day. Um, let's let's keep a keep an eye out for that and put something in the diary. But uh, but for now, where can people find each of you on social media? I'm at Karina Karina on Twitter. I'm Beth K Webb on Twitter. I'm underscore Steph Watts on Twitter. And I'm at CSA Quinlan on Twitter. Thank you. I think that's a wrap. Well, there we go. That was our Lynn Shelton tribute special and a big thank you for listening. Thank you also to the Bechdel Test Fest team, Karina Antrobus, Beth Webb, Steph Watts and Caitlin Quinlan. You can hear more from them over at the excellent Who Is She podcast, available wherever you're listening to this. Whilst you're listening to podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review, preferably five stars. It really helps others discover the show. Thank you in advance. You can find out more about our show and contact us at 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. Or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast was produced by me, Sam Clements, Louise Owen, and the Bechdel Test Fest team. The podcast was edited by Louise Owen, with additional editing and sound mixing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. After listening to that, please go and watch a Lynn Shelton film this weekend. They're all brilliant, and most of them are under 90 minutes long. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but don't forget to check our back catalogue. We've got over 60 under 90 minute film recommendations in there. There's something for everybody. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.